Hello, and welcome to PW Kids Cast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens. I'm John Sellers, the children's reviews editor at Publishers Weekly. Today, I'm speaking with Irish author Owen Colfer, best known for his hugely popular Artemis Fowl series. Colfer has just launched a new series, Warp, beginning with The Reluctant Assassin, which has just been published by Hyperion Books, which is sponsoring this podcast. PW's starred review of The Reluctant Assassin called it an all-out blast. In the book, readers meet Chevy Savano, an American teenager who's been secretly working with the FBI and has been sent to London in disgrace after a mission gone wrong. Her new placement gets a lot more interesting when she discovers that she's sitting on top of a wormhole to the 1890s, and she meets a boy from the past named Riley, the reluctant assassin of the book's title. Owen, uh, thank you for speaking with me. Oh, you're very welcome. My pleasure. And uh, welcome to the U.S. How is your book tour going so far? Really good. Uh, We've had the novel approach of bringing a magician on the road with us, uh, and he entertains he he warms up the crowd, but then, even more importantly, he works the line afterwards. And so by the time people get to me, they are just smiling and I've had a great time, which is an unusual experience because often when the kids and the parents get as far as me, they're a little grumpy and hungry and tired. So this has been, it's been a whole new vibe, if you like, and uh, I'm really enjoying it. Okay. And you, you've often in the past always, I feel like, tried to incorporate a little something extra into your tours, whether it's doing a talk show style tour, or I think you did an eight minute recap of the, the Artemis Fowl series. Is that something you always try to bring to your, your live events? Yeah, I've been lucky enough to have uh, people in Hyperion publicity that understand if you bring a little something extra to a kid's thing, it, it really goes a long way. And because often your readers come to see you year after year. So some of these kids might have heard me talk five times and, you know, that's a little bit of a stretch even for our true fell fans. So we, we try to throw something different into the mix. We did a talk show, as you said. We brought Artemis Fowl with us one year um, and this year we've gone, gone for the magic approach, which um, I think people are really enjoying. And is this your first time uh, back in, in the States since your tour for the final Artemis Fowl book last year? Yeah, this is my first uh, trip back. Um, I love coming here and going to new places. Uh, we're in Houston tonight. so uh, and I'll Actually, all the media escorts that pick me up, I'm starting to get to know them. So, uh, so that's good fun. It's different, different groups of friends, so you don't feel so lonely on the road. Hmm. Um, you know, and as we mentioned, uh, Artemis Fowl, that series ended last year. Um, one year later, how does it feel to have uh, closed the door on those uh, characters and stories? It, it was a little more um, traumatic than you would imagine, or than I certainly anticipated. Um, I thought, well, that's it. That's the end of that book. And uh, But I'd start to get letters from kids, and uh, I'd meet kids in bookstores who were you know, genuinely upset it wasn't a hysteria thing and they would tell me really nice things like they grew up with artemis or he helped them through a bad time or or they you know they didn't read anything and it and it was a different kind of tour last year because all the old fans came back out so a lot of people in their mid-20s even up to the age of 30 were coming uh saying that they got you know they got artemis at a special time in their lives and and so they were kind of coming back to say goodbye so it turned into a really emotional thing for me and uh but in but in a really positive way and uh, i'm really proud of the eight books that i've done and they're up on the shelf now and you know whatever ever else happens in my in my life that is a really nice little slice of legacy for me to leave behind i think 
And I wonder, are you, are you maybe also hearing from kids who are just now uh, finding their way to the books as a way for the, them to sort of find a new audience and kind of continue on? Yeah, I hope so. That does seem to be happening. And, and because there's a little generation gap, the older kids are handing it down to the younger kids and, um, and they're getting to know Artemis all over again. And we did a reading tonight where um, there was a lot of little kids. I was surprised, but um, they were from a reading group and these they were so hugely smart that at the age of nine, they were reading Artemis Fowl already. So yeah, it's going to the next... Uh, generation and the, one of the big secrets in there are not secrets but my weapon secret weapon is uh, librarians and teachers who who really um, find the book useful with uh, reluctant readers um, the Artemis books and the legends books so the librarians and teachers are really keeping it alive let's move on to talk about the uh, the new series warp um, the characters in in Artemis Fowl have 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 access to all sorts of futuristic te- technology um, so was doing a sort of time travel based series maybe a natural next step? I think so. It's um, it's one of the ideas I have. And when I start a new series or, or when I'm beginning any book, really, it's like a little bit like a horse race. I have four or five ideas and I do a little bit of work on each of them every day. And eventually one uh, pulls ahead. And in this case, uh, uh, the warp books pulled ahead. So I... Um, I'm really enjoying that now. It's a slightly different tone, but it's, I think it's in the same ballpark as the Artemis books. There's a little bit of technology and there's a, lot, a little bit of humor and a lot of action. So we have a similar dynamic between the two uh, lead characters because it's, it's, you know, a law enforcement girl and uh, a boy who's on the wrong side of the, the law. So we, it's the same kind of thing, but it very quickly becomes something else. And, um, I think I'm going to enjoy writing a few books. And what I like about this is you can go anywhere. You can meet anybody. It was something I liked about um, the old Doctor Who books was that nowhere was out of bounds and no adventure was uh, was off limits. You could just, when you've got a time machine, you can really keep things interesting for yourself. Mm-hmm. And uh, how did you decide on the period of history that uh, that Riley comes from? Did you Did you think about other options when you were sort of putting your ideas together? Yeah, uh, this for me, this was kind of the jumping off point, and uh, I planned to do different uh, time zones. But I, I, I like the Victorian because I had done an, a lot of research in, on that time zone for a book I did called Airman, and uh, a lot of research on Victorian London, and I ended up not using that. So I always said, I always had in the back of my head, this is amazing stuff about the slums um, in London, the rookeries and the, the catacombs. And uh, someday I'm going to use that. It's very atmospheric. So this was the perfect time. I was even able to bring in one of the characters from Airman, oh. uh, Otto Malarkey. So the kind of the the gang leader uh, in London. So, uh, yeah, it, I had a lot of folders on my, my desktop with the Victorian London heading. And uh, this was the perfect time to use. And I have loads left, so I'll probably do, do more on Victorian London. Hmm. Well, the uh, the culture clash between the the late nineteenth century and the early twenty first century definitely allows for some some fun moments in the book. I, I loved, uh, for instance, that Riley, who's even younger than Chevy, uh, keeps trying to get his hands on a pint uh, now and again. Uh, did you try to make him as true his time period as possible? Yeah, I didn't want to sanitize him at all. You know, I thought this guy is for for a, a teenager in Victorian London. Uh, they face death on a daily basis. And, and even just a normal teenager, I'm not talking about somebody who's 
uh, working for a, a hard killer. Just to most, I think it's some horrible statistic that 70% of children died before the age of five. So just by making it to teenagerhood, you're a winner as far as Victorian London is concerned. And But the true horror of that time that I wanted to investigate was the was the uh, the slums and they were called the rookeries and and the one in particular in this book is a place called the Old Nickel and so I really spent a lot of time reading up on that and and I found a lot of the uh, a lot of the information on Charles Dickens was actually very useful because he was very concerned uh, with the plight of the poor so I read a lot of the research that he did or, or he had done. Um, and I found that helped me not only to factually, but also to get into the more formal voice of writers of that time. Another one of the interesting things, I guess, about this story was that the characters, the main two characters, end up both in the present and at the past at different points, which allows you know both Chevy and Riley to become both the expert and uh, the fish out of water, depending. Yeah. Was that part of your uh, your conception from the start? That- yeah, that's that's exactly right. Um, I, I wanted to have see both sides of that, where first of all, um, Riley becomes totally confused and Chevy takes the lead. And then when they go back to Chevy's time, she's the fish out of water, exactly. And then Riley is allowed... Um, to become the hero. I mean, and I think you know, as things go on, he will be, uh, he will emerge. I think as a much stronger person than he seems to be in the first half of this book. And he's a really nice character, and we'll find out more about him and his family uh, as the books go on. But that kind of doubled that simple idea uh, doubles uh, for me the fun because I could do the same idea twice and have a new effect each time. So yeah, it was it was, it was a very good device. I think readers, you know, both adults and, and children have come to expect a lot of humor also in your writing. But, you know, in this book, there were also some very sort of creepy, scary moments, yeah. um, especially where Riley's mentor, Albert Garrick, is concerned. Is is that mix of horror and comedy and action a way of uh, keeping readers on their toes and keeping the story moving? Or? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I've I've often I haven't really cracked scary before I, I mean i've tried to do it i think i tried an airman and i tried in a book called a wish list uh, but and I, I think it's a self-confidence thing where you feel if i don't make people laugh every three pages then it's not funny at all so i i crack i'm like a playwright behind the curtains peeping out at the audience and if they're not <laughs> laughing i feel i feel nervous so i've always cracked after a couple of pages and put in a joke but this time i think i've managed to hold on to my confidence a few times so to allow uh, the pros to get a nice and spooky and i think yeah i'm very happy with the result now is the uh, the magician that you brought on tour is is that um a little uh a little uh, kinder than uh, the character of albert yeah. in the book or <laughs> yes he was we have to explain to the kids that he's not he's just representing magic he's not representing albert garrick but although we did in the uk we we had a, a group of actors and we had Riley and Chevy and Garrick and he was a frightening guy and he was, the, I think the front rows of kids were, were shaking in their boots, so, um, which was great, but it, it's not practical to bring a troop of actors around uh, America, so we just were very happy with the, our, our magician Travis Plowman. Great. And, uh, and and you alluded to this a little bit earlier, but you know I feel like it's fair to say that you know whether it's Artemis or Chevy or Riley, they're not necessarily heroes or villains in clear-cut ways. Is it is it more fun or maybe more realistic to have characters who 
exist somewhere in between, whether it's good kids who, you know, get into bad situations and vice versa. Yeah, I find that if you're dealing with something truly, you know, fantastical and unbelievable, it helps to have a, as many realistic uh, plot or, you know, touchstones in that story as you can so that uh, the ridiculous if can become acceptable to the kids. I mean, they know if they concentrate that it's not possible, but if it's written in such a way that they can just let themselves believe for that 30 minutes a day that it, it's real, that's what I'm trying to do. And, and and one of the ways I try to do that is I really describe um, the background uh, and I, I let the kids be as realistic as I can uh, in the circumstances. So they're, they're not really, you know, Superboy and Supergirl. They're kind of extraordinary people, but in very unusual circumstances. Now, on another topic, you've also uh, just published uh, A Mystery for Adults, uh, right? Yeah, that's correct. Does writing those books sort of let you um, exercise yet another side of yourself then as a writer? Yeah, exactly. that's exactly right again. I feel like I'm being psychoanalyzed very <laughs> Didn't <laughs> you know that, that, that's, the, that's the idea of this? The, you know, we, we break I'll down authors to, each week. Uh, I'll have to send you a check. Uh, I'm, yeah, exactly. Very often stuff occurs to me that's either very scatological or unsuitable or inappropriate but i still can't let it go because it's funny um and so i think the uh the daniel mcavoy books allow me to just go off into those pratfall places that my mind goes often and with those um i don't have to censor myself and my only criteria is is it funny or i i'm uh, two criteria is it funny and does it drive the story and um and if it does then it's in and sometimes my editor just puts her head in her hand. <laughs> we can't. You have to pull back a little bit, and I do. But I, I really, really enjoy writing those books. But in a funny way, it's the kids' books that are serious and the grown-up books that are um, playful, hmm. uh, which is, I think, the reverse of the norm, which I like too. I mean, uh, in a way, the Daniel McAvoy books are a little bit like just kids' books with adult themes. You know, they, they're still very raucous, and uh, there's a lot of different levels of comedies from straight out um, banana peel slips to, you know, different levels of irony. So uh, I, I really enjoy writing them. And they're very much stream of consciousness in a way. It's all first person. So most of the book is actually inside the guy's head. It's what he's thinking, um, which I like too, because he can he shoots off at all kind of... He's like a mental uh, pinball. He just goes off in all sorts of directions you wouldn't expect, and that's half the fun. Mm. And you uh, you mentioned uh, also Doctor Who earlier, and I know, but you you I think you'd contributed uh, a sort of Doctor Who essay recently, and of course you were involved with uh, Douglas Adams' uh, sequel not too long ago. Are those uh, sort of uh, big influences either on yourself or your writing, the sort of more modern yeah. sci-fi classic type things? Yeah, especially Douglas Adams. Um, I was a really big Douglas Adams fan, and and that actually Douglas informed my writing style because up to that point I, I thought. I love sci-fi and I love fantasy, but I, they're very, very worthy. You know, they're, it's all very, um, everyone is kind of noble or has a secret noble destiny they don't know about. And, and Star Wars, uh, when Star Wars came out, it, you know, that was super worthy. And um, it was all very much following in the, the heroic tradition. And then Douglas Adams came out and totally lampooned um, that whole tradition very effectively, but also fondly. So you could see not only does he love uh, the source material, but he's not afraid to make fun of it. And and I re I think I realized just after reading the first one that you could bring comedy to any genre, uh, 
preferably a, jo- a genre that you did love uh, because it made it acceptable then, I think, to make fun of it. Uh, but I was very worried doing The Hitchhiker. I didn't know how it would go. Um, and I enjoyed doing it, but I would never do that again, I think. I, I, not because I didn't feel it went well. It's just that I w- it was difficult um, and it ended well. It ended fine, but I don't think I'd want to go through the uh, all that stress again. <laughs> just recovering from the first one. Sure. Um, so going back to Warp, I, I wonder, do you have a sense of where you want this series to go? I mean, you, you had said in the past, after all, that Artemis Fowl was only supposed to be three books. Yeah, so. and it's the same with this. I mean, I, I'm thinking at the moment in the current characters, I would do three books. And uh, uh, and then if, if it goes well, I might kind of bring in new characters and just carry on the uh carry on the idea but I, I don't know to be honest I mean I, at the moment I know I've decided to do three books but I don't I've no idea what the third book will be about and I'm just planning the second book what I like to do and I did with the Artemis Fowl books is leave myself the challenges at the end so at the end of one book I said he had uh, he had two brothers who were twins and uh, I had no idea where that was going to go or how it happened um, but it it made me think about it if you know what I mean so I had to really uh, put my bend my mind to the task of incorporating these two brothers into the stories, and they weren't just that you know they weren't just a gimmick; they were actual characters. Hmm. And are, are there any other um, sort of balls you have in the air, or you know things in the back of your mind that you think you might uh, explore? Yeah, absolutely. I've I mean I've started uh, on a couple of books, um, you know just written maybe a brief plan and uh, a, a couple of pages so there are definitely books um, I want to get back to I was um, working on one that was set mostly in the Raj um, so when the uh, English government ruled India which is a period I find fascinating and so I'd like to do that I'd love to do um, myself uh, and Oliver Jeffers uh, the amazing writer and artist from Belfast mm-hmm. We're hoping to do something together. We're, we met on tour in, in uh, New Zealand and uh, we hit it off. And uh, so we're, we're, we're planning a book. I'm, I'm not sure what that's going to be yet, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. Oh. And uh, I want to do, um, I'm working on a musical with some friends of mine and we put it on last year in, uh, in Ireland. It was a big hit. So hopefully we're going to bring that to London and maybe even over to the States if, if all goes well. Oh, well, fantastic. You know, thank you again for speaking with me on your tour, and uh, best of luck with the rest of it. Yeah, thanks a million, John, and uh, just any time I'd be delighted to talk to you. And I feel I feel I, I, I got rid of some stuff there. <laughs> oh, good. Well, if, if you can leave this feeling a little lighter, then I think we've done our yeah. job. So Fantastic. Once again, I've been speaking with Owen Colfer, whose new book is The Reluctant Assassin, which is available now from Hyperion. Thank you for listening to PW KidsCast.